Arkansas Row Crops Radio, providing up-to-date information and timely recommendations on row crop production in Arkansas. Welcome to the Weeds Are Wild podcast series as a part of Arkansas Row Crops Radio. My name is Tom Barber and I'm an extension weed scientist for the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. Today, we are very fortunate to have Dr. Larry Steckel from the University of Tennessee as our guest for this episode of the podcast. Larry is an extension weed specialist and my counterpart across the river. Larry and I talk frequently and compare notes on resistance and which herbicides or programs are providing the best control in cotton as well as many other crops. Uh, Larry, very glad to have you today on the podcast. Afternoon, Tom. Appreciate the invite, man. Yeah, we got a little rain today, so we got some time for uh, to be down a little bit and do some of this. I know you said y'all are still uh, dry enough to plant today. Yeah, the rain seemed to dissipate as it hit the river, and so <laughs> we're out planting actually beans right now. All right. Well, we won't take much of your time. Uh, again, appreciate you being on the program. Uh, our topic is today is going to be early season cotton weed control. And I know, uh, Larry, talking with Bill earlier today, uh, it looks like our cotton acreage in Arkansas is going to be down a little bit from what it was last year, uh, where we may have a little less than 500,000 acres in the state. And uh, just to cover the technology that's generally planted in Arkansas, uh, you know, last year, I think we were about 85% extend and probably around 10 or a little more than 10% in lists. Um, this year, it looks like we're going to be much heavier on the extend in, in regards of which technology is going to be planted in the state. So we could easily see 90 to maybe even 95% on the extend side, I think. What, do, what are y'all looking at, you think? So, yeah, very similar, Tom. Uh, just from the folks I talked to, in the last year we were roughly 85% extend cotton. This year, from what I hear in the field, we'll be a lot closer to 95%. So real close to the numbers you just, you just listed. All right. Well, it sounds like a lot of similarities. I know uh, it also could depend, you know, I mentioned we're still wet over here. If we, uh, if we continue to be wet and get out of our corn planting window, then we may see more, more cotton planted. So a lot of it depends on weather in the spring and is in regards to how much cotton acreage is going to be out there. Yeah, that, um, you know, that's real common here too. I, we've got good weather. So corn's going in the ground. So, you know, usually we have last few years around 300,000 acres of, of cotton. Um, but that might be down a little if they can get the field now. Right, right, right. Well, good deal. Uh, well, we know uh, we're not going to spend too much time here today, but, uh, you know, regardless of how many acres we have and, and what we continue to say in, in any of our programs uh, for any crop, really the key uh, in cotton and many of our crops is that we got to start clean at the very beginning. Uh, I know a lot of our systems, as far as production systems in Arkansas, may be different in Tennessee. Y'all tend to have a lot more no-till systems than we have uh, currently. Uh, but regardless in which system we're in, those summer annual weeds, especially pigweed and grasses and morning glories, I mean, we want them, we want them dead or we want a clean tilled field. We want to start clean before we put the, put the planter in the field. That's, that's true. And over here, we almost do no tillage. Uh, so starting clean is, is traditionally been, since the mayor's tail became a big issue in the early 2000s, it's been around up in Dicamba. And, and, and the grasses, quite frankly, have kind of evolved to fit that niche. Um, and in the last five years, grasses getting through burn downs, whether it's ryegrass, which I know you all have a problem with, but a lot of these summer annual grasses, they fall panicum, barnyard grass, jungle rice, 
goosegrass. Uh, they're slipping through that Roundup dicamba burn down. And then even if you come back with carboxyl right behind the press wheel, it's too big and you've lost and uh, you never catch up on those grasses. Man, Larry, that's a great point. You know, we see that a lot. Uh, maybe not as much in a burn down window, but I know, like you said, with the ryegrass this year, our, our glyphosate uh, resistant ryegrass is spreading uh, through the state from south to north. Uh, every year we get more of it. Uh, this year I've recommended more two applications for ryegrass control uh, where we can maybe just go Roundup Select on that first one uh, or go ahead with our Roundup Dicamba or 2,4-D Burndown and then come back with Select. But we do a much better job on that ryegrass when we keep the Select uh, in an application by itself without those uh, oxen chemistries in there just from an antagonism standpoint. Yeah, we're seeing that consistently as well. A um, lot, of, lot of select being used. You know, five years ago, there was hardly ever any select in a burn down. Now it's, it's probably one of the most common things we use in a burn down. It's, the last five years, the change has been really dramatic. Right, right, right. And I know, and, I, and I've seen from some things you've released, I mean, even later with your applications, uh, you know, with our plant board rules in Arkansas, the previous two years, we haven't been able to tank mix Roundup. Uh, in with our approved dicamba formulations over the top of extend crops. But uh, I can, you know, I see from some of your work, y'all are starting to maybe recommend separating those out as well. Yeah, that, we've been recommending that for the last two years now, and more growers are doing it. In fact, I just talked to Sultan not 10 minutes ago, and he just goes, I just never realized how good Roundup worked if he kept dicamba out of the tank. He was actually killing his grasses. So, uh, from an efficacy standpoint on grasses, there's just no substitute for keeping dicamba out of the tank. Well, and I, and you know, our plant board's got a comment period right now to decide whether uh, Arkansas is going to go with a federal label or not. But I, I feel like, or I know, you know, from my standpoint, even if we have the federal label, our, our recommendation is going to be to keep those separate. Uh, one, it does cut down on volatility, but two, I mean, just to maintain barnyard grass control, and other grasses, like you say, I mean, we just need to keep those separate moving forward, I think. Yeah, we do, because if you don't get it in that burn down, uh, because dicamba's hindering the, the grass herbicide, whether it's Roundup or Plethodim, um, you know, you and I have talked, you never catch up. Uh, you're right. just never going to control it post-emergence when they get size on them from regrowth. That's right. That's right. And it's crucial for us in our soybean rice rotation. Now, we're talking about cotton today, but soybean rotation is critical uh, for our rice production acres, because in that soybean rotation, we can kill barnyard grouse with Roundup right now. I know y'all are losing control across the river, and we likely have some somewhere. We just haven't found it yet. But being able to kill that barnyard grass and keep it from producing seed in, in our soybean years is critical for production of our rice the following year. Yeah, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, roughly 15% of our barnyard grass is glyphosate resistant, uh, wow. which and, and you just never know where it is. It's scattered around. And that's why we're just using so much clethodim now uh, in with the Roundup. Right, right. Well, let's, let's get back on topic uh, and talk about early season weed controlling cotton. I think, uh, you know, we've put out a lot of different uh, presentations or fact sheets and, and blogs talking about uh, residuals. And I, and I read yours and, and we've taken a lot of notes on what y'all are doing over there. Uh, but for us, with all the resistance we have to PPOs, our uh, little corners of the counties in, in various places where we have metolacor resistance, and now we've identified uh, glufosinate resistance in at least three locations, 
You know, it's, it's more important, important than ever than to start clean, like we said earlier, and then come back with effective residuals early on. In the last uh, three or four years, we found that including two of those residuals is better than one up front uh, in cotton. Yeah, that's, that's true here on our side of the river too. Fortunately, we haven't found any liberty resistance, but unfortunately we're Palmer pigweed. We've got Palmer now that, that dicamba will not control. And our preliminary research would say it's also resistant to 2,4-D. Um, so as you well know, really the pre's gotta be thought of as the main weed control program and the post supplement them, not the other way around. And it's, and going with the two herbicides, you know, traditionally we've had a lot of luck with like a pint and a pint of cotter and caparol or some will go up 24-24. And that's really worked well for our pigweed as far as consistency from the residual standpoint. Now with the grass, it's becoming more of a problem. We're seeing folks uh, start to mix some, maybe prowl into the mix, go Cotteran prowl uh, or break, break Cotteran. Uh, and all those have been very successful of, of giving us a good start from a residual standpoint on grasses and broad leaves. Right. And I think uh, I remember you first looking at that pint and a pint of Cotteran caparol, and I thought that was an excellent excellent idea and we started incorporating in some of our trials over here and, and man i agree with you it is uh it is one of our favorites over here i think those uh really sandy soils in in northeast arkansas mississippi county uh crittenden county i think uh, pint and a pint looks real good in those locations on those silt loam soils like we have around mariana and other areas and that 24 and 24 looks good i I, uh, you know, I, I just think I like putting both of those together. They seem to match well. Uh, and Cotteran and Brake has always looked good for us. You know, one thing I will say about Brake is it takes a lot of, it seems like to me it takes a lot more uh, rainfall to get it going. So we definitely need to pair it with something, I think. It's not a standalone, but but uh, I like the Cotteran Brake uh, combination as, as well. Um, but, but that it's, it's hard to beat from an economic standpoint. It's hard to beat that pint and a pint of Cotteran and Caparol. It really is. And, and the idea is Cotteran's more water soluble than Caparol. So you kind of hedge your bet on the weather. If you get a wet spring or the, well, the uh, Caparol will last a little longer. If, uh, it, but if you get a dry spring, the Cotteran will still get activated, even though maybe some of the Caparol doesn't. So that's the idea of a mix of the two. Right. There you go. And that, kind of covering your bases there. And, and something else, you know, we've seen uh, is even including dicamba with that mix up front. Of course, it helps us start clean as long, I guess, we, you know, as long as you don't have resistant pigweed, that is, it helps you start clean. But, but uh, what it can also do is add us a little protection in case we don't get that rainfall for 10 or 14 days. You know, our spring can be funny and uh, about the time we have it figured out, it's got a scratch in our heads. So, uh, I like including that dicamba up front just to give us a little time from a residual standpoint to get that activated rainfall. Yeah, yeah, and it, it will help. It'll give you a good week anyway, and just depending on rainfall, uh, it, it may be a little longer, uh, but right. sometimes yeah. two weeks. So, yeah, yeah, it will help you there. Yeah, so, well, I know that, uh, you know, we just have to get out on the right foot, and, I, you know, I remember back when Roundup, the Roundup Ready system or Roundup Flex Cotton first came out, uh, you know, uh, we kind of did away with the residuals back then. And, and uh, really back in the day, Monsanto had to incentivize putting the residuals back in the system just so we could get some residuals. But with all the resistance we have built up now, it's, uh, 
It's very, it's, it's just critical. It's just like what you said with barnyard grass. If we miss pigweed on that first application, we're in a fight the rest of the year as well. Yeah. Yeah. And like you mentioned, uh, you're throwing hundred dollar bills at it all year long um, and still not controlling it. That's right. So it's just, it's just very critical to, uh, to start clean. Uh, I think incorporating these or not necessarily incorporating them, but using these two residuals, uh, like we're talking about in a system up front is, is really where we are in Arkansas. And, and, uh, and then, you know, we, you know, we often talk in all our programs uh, within 21 days, we need to probably be coming over the top. If we get good activation, we need to be coming over the top with the, something with the group 15 that's working uh, to help us overlap and, and have some uh, protection layer early on. Yeah. And, you know, of course, dual and warrant outlook, those are the ones going out. One of the interesting things is we've got a few retailers over here looking at impregnating fertilize uh, with the Zidua or Anthamax, a pyroxysulfone product. Um, I'm wanting to take a look at it this year and, and do some research on it. If you look at the label, the minimum uh, uh, fertilizer you need to put on for that is 250 pounds. Um, but I got some retailers even thinking about, you know, going up to 400 pounds, putting it on corn. Um, so that would be a real interesting way to get another very effective group 15 in under the cotton without hurting the cotton. Yeah, that's, that's a great idea. I know we don't want to spray, man. I've walked beside behind some guys that have actually tried to spray Zidua over the top of cotton when it's little and, and that gets ugly. So we don't want to do that No, <laughs> as no, an no. actual spray, but man, I like that idea of being able to incorporate it on some urea or something uh, and, and, possibly help us uh, with another protection layer because Zidua has shown to be very effective on our pigweed populations in Arkansas from a residual standpoint. Yeah, here too, even in maybe some fields where it's slipping on dual, uh, Zidua still seems to be the pick of the litter of all the group 15s for, for holding the longest. So uh, getting a little bit of the help from that in cotton early on, I think would have a lot of benefit. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, that'll be interesting to follow. You need to keep us posted on, on that. And I might do some digging to see if anybody's going to try that over here in our state so we can follow that as well. Well, that'd be good. It'd be good for a couple locations to look at it. Right. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Well, what else do we need to talk about? Any, any other key points you want uh, our listeners to know, Larry? Well, I think, you know, you've kind of outlined some of it. Uh, that was sure a blow when you, you announced y'all had Liberty resistance across the river. And, and of course we've got dicamba resistance over here. We're, we're, we're running out of herbicides fast and the, uh, so that's why, you know, you and I are emphasizing using these pre's uh, early and often um, in, in trying to dial in the best one for, for the crop and, and the farming practice. Because uh, we're just, if we're just going to rely on spraying Roundup dicamba across these extend crops for another couple, three years, that, that dicamba molecule will be worthless and Liberty won't be any better. Well, and it sounds like we won't be able to use the Enlist either if, the, if these populations are also tolerant to, to 2,4-D. So... Well, you know, in three years, it's a scary thought, but we could be out of options completely. We really could. Uh, so we really got to start managing now uh, so we don't have that happen in such a hurry. Yeah, absolutely. And boy, do we have we ever needed some new AIs. Good gosh. Uh, new modes of action. Uh, we need them desperately right now. Yeah, we do. Uh, we hear there's maybe one or two coming, but so is Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, so I don't know. We got to manage what we got as best we can. Um, That's right. So. That's right. Larry, we really appreciate you joining us today uh, for this uh, podcast and our podcast series. 
Uh, appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to talk about some of these key management practices. Uh, so thanks for being with us. Oh, yeah, Tom. Thanks for the invite. And so I uh, also want to thank our listeners. And uh, again, I want to thank Dr. Larry Steckel. Again, he's from uh, he's an extension weed specialist for the University of Tennessee. He's got some great pointers on weed control. I always enjoy following Dr. Steckel and, and all his information he puts out. Uh, please join us next week on our podcast as Dr. Jason Norsworthy will be discussing weed control in rice uh, and specifically uh, focusing a little bit on Loy and herbicide and some things they've got going on and different application methods, uh, weeds that it's picking up and also uh, potential injury concerns that, that he's evaluating. So again, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Weeds Are Wild podcast series on Arkansas Row Crops Radio. Arkansas Row Crops Radio is a production of the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. For more information, please contact your local county extension agent or visit uaex.edu.